This episode is brought to you by the One Drop Foundation. Created by Cirque du Soleil founder Guy Laliberté, the One Drop Foundation works to ensure sustainable access to safe water, sanitation, and hygiene for vulnerable communities around the world. Their innovative approach is centered on inspiring change through the power of art and developing creative partnerships and fundraisings. I invite you to find out more on their projects and how you can donate at onedrop.org slash donate. That's O-N-E-D-R-O-P dot org slash donate. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. In September, luxury goods behemoth Caring announced it will no longer use animal fur of any kind in products created by any of the group's 13 fashion brands. It comes on the heels of a recent spate of luxury brands that have pledged to show entirely fur-free collections going forward. At the same time, a number of new exclusively faux fur brands have begun to pop up, proving that luxury fashion doesn't always have to coincide with real furs and animal skins. My guest today on the luxury item is Chloe Mendel, co-founder and creative director at Maison Atia, an innovative luxury faux fur label that is getting the attention of A-listers, including Kate Moss and Gigi Hadid. Chloe, along with her business partner, Gustave Maison Rouge, set out to create carefully crafted and timeless pieces that push the boundaries of faux fur. Raised in New York City, Chloe grew up in the fashion industry. Having trained in the atelier of her father, Gilles Mendel of luxury fashion house J. Mendel, she collaborated on his inaugural haute couture collection, which was shown in Paris in 2016. As the sixth-generation family member of the House of Mendel, Chloe aims to continue that tradition of fine quality and craftsmanship with Maison Aria, designing each piece like a standalone work of art. Chloe was also recently honored by Luxury Daily as one of the luxury women to watch in 2022. Welcome to the luxury item, Chloe. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. So Maison Adia launched in 2017 before the rush of the large luxury brands announcing that they will no longer use real fur in their collections. So how did the business come about? So I had worked in my father's atelier on and off since mm-hmm. I was actually in middle school. And then I worked full time when I was, I went after I dropped out of college. <laughs> but it was an ongoing joke while I would be working there in the fur factory and stuff uh, saying, why isn't there full fur? That's just as nice as this or has had as much attention as what we're doing. Because you know what he was doing was really the most beautiful and the most crafted. And you know, it, he, he was doing top of the line furs and gowns and dresses. So I always felt like, well, there's no faux fur for someone who would want to buy this mm-hmm. because they're not necessarily only buying this and they're buying luxury t-shirts. It's still cotton. Right. So it was just a joke that we used to have, or I, you know, after a long day of work, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll just start my own company. Right. Um, so then I had my first child. And during that time, I had a lot of thinking and alone time. And I thought, well, I want to be a mom who's working with my own business and be an entrepreneur. And I want to share that with my child. So I thought, what do I know? I know, I know how to make coats. <laughs> right. And I wanted, I was like, there must be a way. There must be something for someone like me 
to buy faux fur and not feel like it's a cheap downgrade. I was like, there, we, there's a solution to this problem. There's a gap in the marketplace. There's right. something I want that's not there. So I am horrible with paying bills on time. I'm horrible with anything to do with being professional. So, <laughs> so I was like, I need help. And I friend, I'm friends with Gustav for many years. And I thought, yeah. hey, you want something to do? I was like, you want to help me start this company? And he, he, you know, I asked him on his birthday and he was like, what? <laughs> you know, it was, was kind of like, huh? And he goes, let me think about it. And of course I was like, what does he have to think about? This is a great idea. Right, right. <laughs> and then like a day later, he was like, yeah, of course, let's do it. So that's how it started. And, you know, it was crazy because when I would tell people about the idea, they're like, why faux fur? What is that? Or it's, it's what you would see at thrift stores. It was associated with kind of being grungy. Right. And I thought, it, I thought we can make it a lot nicer. Um, there, there has to be better things. And there are. And now you can see that. Yeah. And I know there's a big charitable component to your business. Can you talk about your partnership with Pause? And did that come about at the beginning, right when you launched uh, the yes. company? This is something I'm very proud of and is near and dear to my heart. I've been involved with Pause Chicago uh, well before I started Mizuwatia. Actually, my husband was one of the first adopters of Pause back when they just launched. Animal you can tell listeners what Pause is. Yeah, so Pause Chicago is a non-for-profit based in Chicago where uh, you can adopt dogs and cats there. They have the largest medical facility. They have an incredible spay and neuter program. And just in a nutshell, just so I can explain how much impact they've made, in when they launched in 97, there were about 86,000 euthanizations of homeless pets in Chicago, city of Chicago, just the city of Chicago. And I think last year there were under 4,000. Hmm. This is purely since they launched. And it has to do with the work they do with spay and neuter, providing for low-income families and so on. Amazing organization and just amazing people around them. So I, I have five pets right now three cats, two dogs. And I love just being a part of that world and helping those without voices, you know, animals need us. So when we made Mizuatia, I Gustav and I agreed that there had to be a charitable component. And there was no question that we wanted something that we were proud of and we knew we're doing the right thing. Because I always question charities, you know, like when people like throw out big names, like I'm like, do I know where those dollars are going? Right. Here I do. So it was just a natural extension of my heart and home into my business. And I love that. I love that my business is, you know, it's, it's my heart. It's me. So when your customers find out about your relationship with pause and, and doing social good, um, what is their reaction? I think everybody can appreciate the fact that we're saving lives with each sale. And if you're an animal lover, if you're a pet owner, it's even more special. But, you know, the, the charitable and philanthropic side of what we do is really just something that fills my heart and makes me very proud. But for us, it's about, you know, doing good. Um, it's not just about the sales. And that's, I think, is really important to brands today. You know, it's having a real integral component to your brand and just having a lot of meaning and heart behind what you do. Right. So how did the first collection come together? Well, <laughs> It was really, really crazy. So we decided to be, we became a company in spring of 2017. Mm -hmm. And based, because we're a winter wear, right? It was 
we don't have a whole year and a half to waste. We have to present something this winter. So we did all the research. Gustav traveled around the world visiting all of the factories that made faux fur on the material. And in that six month period, we developed our first capsule collection and released it in November, 2017. It was wild. You know, we were built, we were making like the logos and the brands, all of this all at the same time. How long did that process take? You had to rush it. Yeah, it was between May and November. Wow, May and November. So how, so what was your inspiration for that collection? The inspiration for the brand has always been a very classic woman, kind of 70s twist, kind of Jane Birkin, Charlotte Rampling, these very cool, um, effortlessly chic women who mm -hmm. can wear a mix of things. I think versatility is really important in what we wear as women who, you know, have to work and also be a mom and dress up for dinner. So the core, my inspiration is really the lifestyle of a working woman who loves fashion, who loves luxury. So when you were rushing to put that first collection together, like you know, where were the materials sourced from? Who crafted those pieces? How did you pull that all together? Gustav visited all of the faux fur factories right. um, that we could find. So Europe. we haven't found great factories that we wanted to work with in the U.S. There may be. I'm just not aware of them yet. Right. Um, so he went to Germany, Italy, I think Portugal, uh, France, and he visited all of these mills and all of these fabric reps there. We found the strengths of we, there were certain materials we liked, certain were more inspiring. And we really wanted to create a variety of things, you know, long hair, Mongolian lamb, mink. As we were figuring out our brand at the time, it was, well, let's just make the best of what we can do and make it feel luxurious, look luxurious and exciting. But at the same time, appeal to a woman who, you know, doesn't need to stand out in a crowd, but knows what she's wearing is beautiful and special. So we did colors, we had pinks, we had navies, we identified our lining, which is signature, the polka dot lining, which mm -hmm. is throughout our collections. And that was how our collection was born. And we created our Colette and Catherine style, which today is still our bestseller from day one. And where did you debut the, uh, your very first collection? So we first did a private viewing in a beautiful home on the Upper East Side mm -hmm. with friends and family. And then we launched in Flying Solo in Soho. And what was the reaction at first? Well, people loved the coats. They saw how beautiful they were and how different they were. Um, and they, the, you know, the hand feel is just, you have to feel our faux furs. They, I have. Yeah. <laughs> they are it, beautiful. It's hard to explain because there's a lot of faux furs that don't feel so nice, but right. ours feel really nice. You know, I come from a fashion family. Mm -hmm. I know how to cut pieces to make women that are flattering. You know, I, this is what I'm good at. So we knew the shapes were good. We knew the shapes were pieces that women love owning multiples of. And so it was a really exciting time. And we were covered by Vogue, the New York Times, um, mm -hmm. Teen Magazine. It was all just coming together and it was really exciting and energizing. Yeah, I mean, the brand seemed to have caught fire and make its way into the hands and on the shoulders of celebrities like Kate Moss, Sophia Bush, Naomi Watts, Gigi Hadid, and others. How did the word get out to these fashion influencers? Yeah, so when we launched a month later, Gucci announced they were going for free. And this was very big deal. I mean, this was really big deal for anyone in the faux fur industry, which was just us, really. Because suddenly all of the articles, 
not only mentioned Gucci, but <laughs> mentioned the small brand Mizuatia, right? Mm. So we were, you know, suddenly on this wave of trend in a way that was starting. Mm-hmm. Right. And throughout the years since then, um, you know, Caring has announced being for free and so on. So now it's, again, bigger conversation. It's more known. But once that happened, we were picked up by different magazines. We were being pulled for editorial polls. Um, Gigi Hadid's stylist contacted us and we sent her a coat. And then Gigi saw her coat and was like, I need one too. And she wanted a black one and I didn't have any more because you know, we, we had this little collection. And I basically like sold most of it and gave the rest you know, to different uh, editors and you know, celebrities. So I was like, I'm sorry, I can't give Gigi the coat she wants. Can she take a white one? And she was like, I don't know, just send it to me. <laughs> and that's all the answer I got. And then a few days later, uh, Mimi Cottrell, who was her stylist, sent me an email going, check this out. And it was all over the press. It was uh, paparazzi shots of Gigi in our coat. So I was like, oh my God, thank goodness. Because, you know, as a small brand, every coat you give away, it's kind of an expensive gift. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so we're like, I hope this makes it. <laughs> every right, time we give something, you know, I'm like, I really hope... They, they wear it. <laughs> right, exactly. And and you had your first Fashion Week presentation in 2019. So how did that go? Yeah, so, you know, fashion industry, <laughs> fashion shows are way in advance, right? So we were catching up with the calendar. In the beginning, we launched a See It Now, Buy It Now, and that we were finally able to catch up with the fashion calendar. And we presented our first uh, Autumn Winter Fashion Week collection at the Baccarat Hotel in their beautiful Harmony Room. Yeah, in New York City for listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In New York City, it's one of the most beautiful hotels. It's like crystal and chandeliers. Yep. And it was so special. And we had a lot of great guests. We, it was really a moment for us to show what we were capable of doing in one place. That collection, we had like skunk and we had fox and we had developed all these crazy, beautiful materials. And I finally felt like, wow, people can see that we don't just do this style or this thing or the Gigi Hadid coat were so much more than that. People loved it. Inez and Venude came, the editor of what is it? Uh, Vogue Parrot France came. Um, you know, we had a lot of really great people come in and support us. And I'm always appreciative of everybody just being nice and taking the time to visit us. Cause I know fashion week is such a crazy time for people, especially editors and photographers and, you know, to just come and make a little visit to me is, is a really big deal. So you know, I want to make sure they feel like they appreciate it as well, too. And, and your business is almost entirely direct to consumer with pop-ups here and there. Yeah. Um, and, and some select retailers, too. Is this the business model you want to stick with? It is. Um, I think as a small brand and as a growing brand, direct to consumer has so much more opportunity for us to connect with our customers and provide what they're looking for and have great customer service. And we don't go on sale. This is a part of our brand. I think it does a disservice for people to get used to brands going on sale when they buy. And it hurts mm-hmm. It hurts luxury brands. It hurts small brands. So we have a no sale policy. We can't control this when it goes into larger stores nationwide, right? So in order for us to keep our brand messaging clear, for us to provide the best care possible, um, I think direct-to-consumer is the way to go. And we still work with great small retailers across the U.S. I think it's a great way to market. It's a great way to learn, uh, meet new customers. Also, understand different customers in different cities and 
what they're what they're looking for and what they love. And I love connecting with people. So these small stores in the US is one of my favorite things to do is to travel and do trunk shows and just meet people and grow. But in terms of in the larger scale of things moving forward as a brand, we have pivoted, especially during COVID, to pushing towards our e-commerce and direct consumer, which I think which has been a great decision that I'm really happy about. So one of the key things, just to spin off that, one of the key reasons why a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands are so successful is has to do with customer service, intensely focused on customer service and customer experience. So how do you do that with your brand? From day one, we put handwritten notes in every package. When mm-hmm. customers email us or call us or anything, we respond immediately. And you're not talking to a robot. You're talking to us. Right. <laughs> you know, we're talking to you? I mean, sometimes, yeah, because we're a small team, right? And we're we're juggling a lot of hats. You know, we're right now, I travel with trunk shows, I design the collections, I do the website, you know, where we seem a lot more grand than the the reality is, is we're all wearing multiple hats in our business. And that's the fun part, you know, it's what makes it exciting and different every day. And, you know, I like kind of a little chaos in what I do. (laughs) So (laughs) when, when you ask us questions, when you need something in a different size, we're able to do that. You know, sometimes we we don't have a size two in something, or sometimes we don't have a size 18 in something. If we have the material, we'll make it for you. You know, we're doing our best to be able to offer everything to everyone. Right. And so when it's under our own roof, we can do that. And right. sometimes a woman goes, I love this coat, but I wish I had a pink sleeve. And if I can do it, we'll answer in a day and say, hey, let's get that pink sleeve on there for you. You know, we're, we're here to really have a personal connection and grow with our customers because we love them and they're all great people. And we've also had the opportunity through building relationships to travel to different cities and have trunk shows and our fans come visit us. And it's so exciting. And you've been out there a few years already. So based on the people that you've spoken to, your customers, who are your core customers and from your conversations, why are, why are they coming to your brand? Do they own real fur already or are they just drawn to the style and your mission? So our customers are women um, who probably do own fur already, but may not want to buy one today or want something that's easier to take care of. Mm-hmm. And there are people who have decided they are not going to buy fur anymore. And there are people who are vegans and animal rights activists, activists, but for the most part, um, we we sell to women who love coats. When you love coats or like shoes, you just want more. That's that's who we sell to. Is right, but, but your style is very specific. You know, we, it's very '70s influence, rock and roll influ- influence. Uh, obviously, European Euro chic to it. Mm-hmm. So, is that also a, a certain type of mindset um, from your customer? I don't. I don't think it's we're selling to just like people who are rock and roll. I think. We just, women who love quality things, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just who we sell to. And a lot of women love to buy it for themselves and their daughters. I think they have a playful side. They have, um, they want to have fun with their closet. You know, there have been so many technological advances in materials that give designers the ability to create, you know, these luxurious items using non-animal fur without giving up style and quality. So what materials do you use for your collections? Great question. So we use different materials. Right now we are 100% sustainable. So what that means, our materials have to be sustainable materials that are recycled, 
upcycled or plant-based. Like the coolest material we use at the moment is called Koba. And that is a blend of corn and recycled water bottles. It's really the coolest, you know, advancement material that's out there for Gopher right now. We are trying to make it as much more corn as possible every year. But we released this season a beautiful jacquard with the Koba fabric. We're, we're able to do a lot with this fabric and it's really, really beautiful and feels great. So we use Koba. We're able to use uh, faux fur and make it really soft now with recycled water bottles. So most of the collection you had seen yesterday was out of recycled water bottles. And the rest is dead stock material, upcycling, uh, we really try to be as conscious with our production as possible. And we run a almost zero to no waste production model, which is very unique to our brand. Are your competitors sustainable too? I think sustainability is a word people throw around. Um, we only use words that we can stand behind. So mm -hmm. people call Fofer sustainable all the time. It's not necessarily using sustainable methods in what they do. We do it and we're transparent about what we do. And with more and more luxury brands going for free and incorporating faux fur into their collections, your competition is growing. How is Maison Adia brand uniquely positioning itself in this increasingly noisy field? Are, are we have really great product. I, you know, I come from a fur background. This is what really makes us different, right? People, you can make coats, you can make faux, faux fur, but to really have that next level hand feel that the shape of the coats and so on you have to be in this industry and i've been in this industry my whole life you can try to copy what we do which you know i'm sure people are already trying to do but i can tell you we're the best and so i'm not afraid <laughs> of competition <laughs> because i know i'm really good at making coats <laughs> i like that and attitude they're really, they're really beautiful and when women try them on almost always their reaction is, wow, this is so warm and so soft and it feels great. And the shape, like, I love it. Our customers buy one and then they buy a second and a third and a fourth. Do you get a lot of, I can't believe this is faux fur? Yes. And we do have people coming and being like, does this look real, too real? And that's when I say, you know, we can get this in a different color or we can get a pattern on it. If you are uncomfortable wearing something that looks too real you wouldn't know it's faux in a lot of cases, especially our reversible shearlings. It, they feel and look like the real thing and they're priced better. Being fully immersed in your family's business growing up, you had front row seats to every aspect of running a luxury brand from design and development to production, distribution, customer service, et cetera. What has been some of the most important things that you learned while working for your father that apply to building your own business and brand? I think the greatest learning experience from working with my father and growing up in industry is seeing how much passion and the work ethic involved in being in the fashion industry. And it's not unique just to my father's brand. This is just industry wide. Right. People immerse their lives and their worlds into the product. And fashion is a very strange business because you have to make so many collections and the next season it's out of style. Or, you know, it doesn't, it's the only art, in my opinion, that go down, goes down in value in just mm -hmm. a few months, which is so crazy to me because you're not putting any less effort into the dress or the coat you're making than someone would in a painting. I would spend days, weeks, hours in my father's atelier working on one dress. 
And once I'd see it on the floor in a store, I'd be like, wow, I can't believe that was just such a short-lived moment. It also is what you thrive on, this constant transition, constantly putting out new work, right? It's, it's really a great challenge to artists um, who, or you know, creative people. But people are so passionate and work so hard. It showed me that it's not easy and you really have to love what you do. And as everyone knows, you know, an increasing number of luxury brands and retailers have banned fur and exotic skins. Sales of real fur have been declining, but fur still has its fans and remains a feature on some of luxury brands. So is one of your goals, you know, is to keep disrupting the fur industry, or do you think both industries can live in the same world together peacefully? So I've always had the position of saying that I have nothing against fur. People who choose to wear fur, that's totally fine. People who choose to buy fur, that's that on them. It's my job to just create an alternative that is beautiful, that is classic, that'll stay with you for a long time, that's made with quality and great craftsmanship. And you can choose what you want to buy. Um, I don't think one has to cancel the other out. I think there are options. You know, I don't, I don't really have any negativity towards people who choose to wear fur. So I think both can live together. Yeah, I just think that what we do is provide a great alternative or a great option. Or, you know, if you want to travel, you might not want to wear your mink coat on the plane. You know, we're just creating something else that is as beautiful and as well-crafted. And Stella McCartney, you know, the trailblazer in sustainable fashion, said she has a bigger goal of getting the fashion industry to take circularity, which is the reuse or recycling of garments and accessories, take it seriously. Is that a goal you have in mind when it comes to alternatives to real fur? So this is already a part of our world. So I've been a huge advocate. I talk about it publicly all the time about having a lean closet approach. Mm -hmm. um, and the definition of that is quality, not quantity. I believe in investing in pieces that you love. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it's really buying pieces that you can style, you know, different outfits with that you can wear all the time that um that that will last with you for and i you know i buy pieces thinking oh maybe my daughter will borrow this one day um you know or i take clothes from my mom i've inherited clothes from my grandmother and i love them and i wear them if you just buy just to buy and you don't wear it and it's wasteful well, we don't want to live wasteful lives um you know i'm i talk about this all the time our coats will last they are made to last in your closet for a long time they're made really well to keep you warm too. And so this is something I think is really important. And people as consumers need to rethink about how they shop. Because right now we live in a very wasteful shopping mindset, I think. Yeah. Especially with throwaway fashion. And I have nothing against those brands. I buy stuff, you know, from H&M and Zara too. But I'm buying something that like, oh, this is a black pant that I can wear all the time. <laughs> I'm not buying something that I don't know that if I'm ever going to wear just to buy it, you know, in like every color. And then not only that, I, you know, we run a zero to waste production model. So in terms of, you know, how do things get used afterwards? Well, when you cut clothes in a production line, there's a lot of waste. The fashion industry is very wasteful, right? Because it's like cut, cutting puzzle pieces out of rolls right. of fabric. So what happens with all that excess fabric that doesn't get used in making a coat? We hand cut and apply all of that wasted fabric into our accessories. 
we have almost no waste. And then after that, after we produce accessories, which they have to all be hand done because you cannot you know, do it in a production line, you know, if everything is a different shape. So once we do that and we create cool accessories like bags, hats, uh, sleep masks, eyewear cases, you know, collars, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of gifting items, which we price very affordably, everything's under $250. Then the rest of that wasted fabric goes to a nonprofit called Fab Scrap, mm-hmm. where they then give it to artists, they give it to the young designers who want to you know, make I don't know, sculptures or whatever. And then if it doesn't get used, it then goes and gets converted into insulation for buildings and stuff like that. So you recently branched out and launched a sustainable rainwear collection. If you could talk about that launch and what material mix do you use for that collection? Yeah, so we were really excited to launch something that wasn't just for winter, <laughs> you know, raincoats. And the raincoats are made out of 100% recycled water bottles, and they have really beautiful prints. They're this great trench coats that you can wear, and you can have a sweater underneath it. They're colorful. They're very happy. They're mood boosting, and they can fit women of different body types. So we're really excited to release this collection and continue releasing raincoats as a part of our brand moving forward. What was the inspiration for the rainwear capsule? You know, when you think about a gloomy day and it's raining, uh, you want to wear something that's happy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's kind of a 60s mod print, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the trench coat is a very classic shape. So you kind of put on this fun color. It comes in red, green, baby blue, and the black, but the black has colored flowers on it. And they're really special and they, they just feel great on. Um, women love them. And they they can pack up really small, so you can put them in your purse. They're very lightweight and just just easy. And you know, like I said before, I'm really about versatility and functional fashion. So Chloe, my final question, which is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation, water transportation, any other form of transportation, and it can't require any mobile, use mobile service. What would that one luxury item be? It would just be you, sand, some palm trees, and you're surrounded by water for miles and miles and miles. What would that one luxury item be that you would have with you? Maybe a faux fur throw, a blanket, I could sit on it and it could be shelter. (laughs) And sustainable too. Yeah, it's sustainable and it it should last us a long time. They're made well. Chloe Mendel, co-founder and creative director of Maison Atia. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.